Hello and welcome to Rooftop, the UK's only dedicated roofing podcast brought to you by NFRC. I'm Phil Campbell. And I'm Pip Applegate. In this podcast, we interview industry figures, thought leaders and technical experts to make sure you are leading in roofing excellence. We will also bring you regular features which will include things like topical news discussions, technical tips and guidance to help you stay safe on site. We're once again recording from home as we haven't yet ventured into the office, so apologies in advance for any sound issues. On this episode, we are joined by Emma Lindsay, Director of Criminal Enforcement at the Competition and Markets Authority, the CMA. And she will discuss with us the work the CMA is doing to raise awareness of competition law in the construction industry. And in particular, what lessons can be learned from the recent CMA case in the legend industry? We'll also hear from Matt, NFRC's Gary Walpole about the exciting launch of the new NFRC app. But we wanted to kick off today with some industry news. So, Pip, what news story have you got up for us today? Well, it's something that our listeners might have already heard about, and it's on the topic of training. Oh, it sounds very interesting. Tell us more. <laughs> Okay, um, two of NFRC's trade members, uh, Barclay Roofing Limited and AAA Roofing Limited, both located in the northeast of England, have collaborated to help establish a pipeline of recruits for careers in roofing. Mm-hmm. Um, together with Redcar and Cleveland College, the two contractor companies have developed an intensive six-week course geared towards learning basic skills in preparation for a career in roofing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the course is titled Get Ready for Roofing, mm-hmm. and it offers up to 16 candidates aged between 18 and 24 who are currently unemployed, an introduction to roofing knowledge and skills. And the course is funded by the Tees Valley Mayor and Combined Authority and aims to get trainees site ready. Well, it certainly sounds like an interesting opportunity and something a bit different for candidates. Yes, Barclay Roofing believes this is the first time a scheme has been used in this way. And those who complete the course actually get a guaranteed interview with the roofing firms for a six-month paid work placement, which would be partially funded by the government's kickstart scheme, which we mentioned in previous episodes. Mm. Um, Then following a successful six-month placement, Barclay or AAA Roofing will move the youngsters into a permanent employment as apprentices working towards roofing NVQ qualifications. That sounds fantastic. It really does offer a potential career pathway for potential roofers. Absolutely. And, and you know, I was speaking with Simon Dixon, NFRC's training manager and technical officer, mm-hmm. and he summed up the incentive really well. He said that this type of pre-apprenticeship training is providing, or sorry, proving to be the way forward for our industry for both the employer and the trainee. And that's really because for the employer, an industry-aware young person has a higher retention expectancy than one who's not as there's a tremendous amount of time allocated to the trainees' well-being and training. So it's always a disappointment if the appointment is not suitable. Of course. Um, Simon then went on to explain for the trainee, they'll get to learn about the industry's different roles and disciplines and what's expected of them. They'll learn skills that they'll retain and also that will serve them throughout what can be a rewarding career and not just financially. And Simon also said that he's got a great respect for AAA and Barclay, who have taken the initiative to create this opportunity for young people and that he fully supports the programme such as this and will also be sure that the wider roofing industry will be there to support as required. Mm. 
So, Pip, tell me, are the courses currently running or getting underway soon? And where should people go for more information? Yeah, so the first course is um, due to start at Redcar Cleveland College in May this year. Whilst needing a good head for heights, obviously, um, the candidates should also be enjoy uh, being outdoors, staying fit and working in a team. And potential recruits, as I've mentioned, must be between 18 to 24 years old, be claiming universal credit and be referred to the programme by their JCP work coach. And for any of our listeners out there who are interested in finding out more information, um, please contact Esme Flounders at Barclay Roofing on 01642 601755 or go to Barclays website at www.barclayroofing.co.uk. So that's my news article for this episode. What have you chosen for our listeners, Phil? Well, Pip, um, I wanted to talk about the recent acquisition of Viridian Solar by Marley. Um, this may, on the face of it, just sound like a, a boring merger between two companies, but actually it could be quite an interesting one for our industry. Okay. Um, I'd be interested to hear a little bit more about that. Um, first of all, who, who are Viridian? Well, Viridian is a it's a solar company, actually, um, and they produce roof-integrated solar panels. Um, so that's okay. when, rather than the solar panels sitting on top of a roof, they actually are integrated into the roof structure. Mm-hmm. And um, the reason why that's um, preferable is it um, has um, better design elements. And so yeah. rather than looking kind of out of keeping with a building, actually it is in keeping with the roof line. And actually, Marley were using part of Viridian's technology before with their Clearline Fusion PV technology, which is behind the, the solar tile that, that Marley produced. Um, so Viridian was started in 2003. Um, and as I said, they have worked quite closely with the roofing industry before. But this is now now they're going to be fully part of our, our sector. Um, so it's, it's kind of really interesting um, news for the industry and, and sets a certain direction of travel about where some of our largest manufacturers members are, are going yeah absolutely so i mean in terms of the the logic it, it's there in terms of the products complementing each other really well but what's actually behind the move yeah well there's a number of different reasons well clearly the uk has a, a net zero target to reach by 2050 and you know that's going to have uh, quite a big impact on the built environment um you know particularly um, with things like retrofit for, for our homes and our buildings, but also through the way we generate electricity. And, and solar is a big part of that, both solar thermal, where you, where you warm water through, through solar panels and, and through solar PV like this, where you're generating electricity. Mm. Um, but one of the main catalysts really is the, the new building regulations that are going to, become, that'll be going to be changing over the next few years. So it's called the future home standard. Mm-hmm. And this is going to require quite a big uplift, uplift in the current standards we have for, for new-built homes. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways of achieving that is by building solar panels into a, a new-built home. Okay. So clearly, you know, Marley have seen an opportunity here. Um, mm-hmm. The market is going to be growing over the next few years. And as they already seem to be working with Viridian, they decided to, to you know, collaborate and come together through this merger. Um, so, yeah, developing market and also you know, definitely much more potential there as we get closer to that, that net zero target in 2050. Yeah, it's all it's all working towards that, as you said. What what do you think it actually means for the sector as a whole? Well, I, you know, I think this means that the, the sector is starting to, to change um, and, and it's starting to, to innovate much more. And mm. I wouldn't be surprised if we start to see, see more um, and mergers and, and acquisitions like this. So, 
the solar industry and, and the roofing industry start to work much closely together. Um, and I think it'll also change the skills requirements in our industry. You know, traditionally solar has been seen very much as something that electricians do um, or plumbers. Yes. Um, but one of the things we've always encouraged is to, to upskill roofers to be able to do solar installations as well. And you may start to see roofing companies actually adding a solar division to their, to their arm. And you do see that over in, in, in the States, you, you see um, you know, roofing companies starting to do solar much more. So I think that's an indication of the direction of travel, our industry, and it's definitely a trend to watch for the future. So you can see in the future almost contractors having specialist teams to handle this type of installation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and any more information out there on the, on the acquisition that we can share with our listeners? Well, actually, um, this story features in our most recent edition of Roofing Times, um, which every trade and supply member should have a copy of. And also in Roofing Times, we feature over 17 different articles from our supply members with some fantastic stories of innovation and case studies and people moves. And it's a really interesting read. So I'd highly recommend that everybody goes and reads that. So welcome, Emma. Thank you for joining us on today's podcast. Um, please, could you start by just telling us a little bit about the Competition and Markets Authority and, and the work that you do? Yeah, sure. Um, good to be here. So uh, just by way of introduction, um, the Competition and Markets Authority, or the CMA for short, uh, is the UK's competition watchdog. And we're an independent government agency that are sponsored by the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, um, which you may have heard of uh, as BAYS. And you may also be familiar with our predecessor organisations, which were the Office of Fair Trading and the Competition Commission. So, as well as investigating anti-competitive business practices, we also have responsibility for carrying out investigations into mergers, markets, breaches of consumer protection law and the regulated industries. So turning to our competition enforcement work, this is focused specifically on anti-competitive practices. Um, UK competition rules promote healthy, dynamic competition amongst rivals. And in line with the law, competing businesses must set prices independently of each other and make autonomous commercial decisions. And this helps ensure that there's a level playing field for businesses to compete. However, when rivals collude and agree to act together, they undermine fair competition. And that's what we're most concerned with. Mm. So this could be, for example, by uh, fixing prices, such as agreeing what prices they are going to charge for something with each other. Colluding to rig bids, uh, such as agreeing who's going to win a competitive tender and at what price. Or illegally dividing up a market between themselves. In other words, agreeing who will supply which customers or areas of the market or country. Or exchanging commercially sensitive information with rivals. So those sort of basic anti-competitive agreements that I've just described um, rip off customers. They can mm. inflate prices, they can reduce choice and quality, and they can cause reputational harm um, and erode customer trust. 
And it's our job at the CMA to investigate, pursue and stop anti-competitive wrongdoing. So there can be serious consequences for those that are caught out with this, including large fines for the businesses involved, director disqualifications, and in the most serious criminal cartel cases, criminal conviction and potentially prison. Obviously, the work that you undertake is across all markets. Um, So why is the construction uh, sector a target or a focus sector for you at the moment? Yeah, so construction is a a major part of the UK economy um, and is essential for delivering many public services. And it's critical, therefore, that construction firms and their directors are clear on competition rules and abide by them. The construction sector is um, unfortunately no stranger to competition law enforcement. In 2009, construction businesses were the subject of a huge investigation that involved more than 100 businesses who were caught cover bidding. More recently, we fined construction firms £67 million across five construction cartel cases covering a broad spectrum of the industry, um, and that includes concrete drainage, groundworks, office fit-out services, galvanised steel tanks and roofing materials. And alongside those large fines, um, we have disqualified 11 directors in total as a result of those cases, with the most recent, which were announced in the concrete drainage and roofing cartels cases earlier this year. Um, And previously, there have been two criminal convictions, one in the galvanised steel tanks case and one in concrete drainage. Mm. So... It's basically in the light of those, coupled with the fact that the construction sector is such a significant part of the UK economy, that we're keeping Mm. a close watch and promoting compliance messages. Mm. Um, I mean, we believe that the majority of businesses want to do the right thing, and um, we've made compliance advice available to help, but we will come down hard on those that don't follow competition rules. Yeah. So you mentioned there the um, recent lead case, and that's probably one that's um, fresh on most of our listeners' minds because that's been quite um, prominent in the roofing press recently. Could you just give a little bit of uh, a summary of that case and some of the lessons learned from that, please? Yeah, sure. So um, last year, 2020, we fined two rolled lead companies, a total of over £9 million for their part in anti-competitive collusion to manipulate the market to their advantage. Um As you will know, rolled lead is a widely used product in the UK construction industry, Mm. mainly um, in roofing and cladding. Um, We also held three directors um, personally to account for their wrongdoing and disqualified them as acting as company directors. Um, So the businesses involved basically sold their products to building merchants who in turn sold them on to large and small construction contractors. And their illegal practices included some of the activities I previously described, but specifically colluding on prices, um, sharing commercially sensitive information about the rolled lead market with each other, Mm. agreeing not to target certain of each other's customers, and agreeing not to supply a new business due to the risk that it would disrupt the firm's existing customer relationships. As I mentioned, um, 
not only did we disqualify some directors, but because senior directors in both businesses were actively involved in the wrongdoing, um, each business had their fine increased by 15%. It's certainly interesting to hear a little bit more about that particular case. Um, what would you say the most important lessons learnt were um, that we can share with our listeners today? Um, so I think fundamentally, if you're involved in anti-competitive practices with your rivals, you run the risk of the CMA taking enforcement action against you. Mm. Um, directors set the tone for how an organisation operates and can be held to account for company wrongdoing. Mm. And so it's critical that directors lead by example yes. and ensure everyone within their organisation is clear on competition rules and abides by them. Mm. Um, particularly if your business is in close contact with rivals, you must be on high alert to anti-competitive risks. And we would recommend having regular training in place to identify and mitigate against competition law dangers mm -hmm. and to consider sort of implementing a compliance programme. Yes. But if in doubt, always seek independent legal advice to help you. I think the the bottom line is never agree with rivals to fix prices or not to compete for customers or business. Mm. So, so many of those listening will be roofing contractors rather than suppliers like in, the, in this lead case. So what type of things should they be aware of or, or things to watch out for? Yeah, so you need to be clear on competition rules and um, I would recommend that you avail yourself of our quick guides and case studies and explainer films. Um, and we've got on our website a campaign page called Cheating or Competing. And you can find some really useful links on that. And I believe we're going to put some quick links onto the podcast page as well. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're bidding for contracts, never discuss prices or proposed submissions with rivals. This is illegal. You must act independently. If a rival suggests you work together to decide who wins a contract, they are in effect inviting you to be part of a business cartel, which is a very serious matter. Mm. So in that scenario, reject the approach immediately and very clearly. If you have a legal or risk team within your organisation, make them aware and get legal advice. Um, by being clear on what anti-competitive red flags are, you're also in a better position to avoid being a victim of harmful business practices. And again, those are on our campaign page, so you can actually look at some of the examples of red flags. But if you suspect another business may be acting illegally, then contact the CMA. Let us know about it. Those are all certainly really useful tips. Um, where could listeners go to find out a little bit more, uh, uh, maybe to ensure compliance? Uh, you mentioned the quick guide, but is there anything else that we could direct them to? So, yeah, so I'd recommend visiting that cheating or compete, competing campaign page. Mm -hmm. um, but I'd also encourage listeners to read and share our competition law short guide, which has got a step-by-step -step guide on how best to set up and implement a compliance programme. And again, okay. you can access that on our website or through the link on the podcast page. Brilliant. Great. And just one last question. Um, so you mentioned about um, red flags and, and things to look out for. So in terms of any listeners who, who think they may see some anti-competitive activity, um, 
what are some of the red flags they should be looking out for and what should they do if they want to report that? You mentioned you know, to call the CMA. Is there a number they can call? What's the best way of contacting the CMA? Yeah, so um, it probably falls into two categories, but don't worry if you're not quite sure which one. The key thing mm-hmm. is to contact the CMA. But if you think you've witnessed others being involved in a business cartel, um, then you should report it to us. And um, the cartel's hotline is the number you want for that. And again, we'll put links on the page. I don't imagine anybody's got a pencil to scribble it down <laughs> now. Um, but if any information leads to an investigation, then you may qualify for a, for a financial reward as well. Um, and then secondly, if you think that you've been involved in cartel activity, then you can come forward to apply for leniency and either through your company or you can do this as an individual. And if you're the first one to report the cartel activity and we aren't already investigating it, then we can give immunity from fines and prosecution. And again, the links to our leniency page um, and information on leniency are on our website and also by searching for the CMAs, cheating or competing um, campaign where you can find out more but always seek independent legal advice if you think you may have broken the law. Thank you very much, Emma. That's been a, a really enlightening discussion. Um, was there anything else you wanted to add um, before we, we call the uh, interview to a close? No, that was great. As I say, thanks very much for having me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been really interesting. Thank you very much. Right. And for everyone listening, make sure you, you check out all the links in the description for the podcast. And now it's time for another regular rooftop feature from our very own Gary Walpole. So, Gary, what have you got for us for this episode for your technical tip? Well, this this month or this episode, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're um, releasing an electronic copy of the um, health and safety passport, the NFRC health and safety passport, which many of your listeners would remember as um, a small little pocket size um, health and safety passport that um, was released in 2010. Very popular with the members. Okay. Um, when I joined the NFRC in uh, 2017, it was one. It was one of the jobs on my list to um, uh, revisit and um, update because obviously this is 2010. CDM regulations have been updated. So. Um, Along with a focus group from the Health and Safety Committee, we uh, got around updating the work, which was in a draft Word document. And that's when we pulled in the help of the um, uh, marketing team to come up with ways of how we were going to um, give our members this information. Do we stick with a physical version of the passport or move into a, a more technical um uh, uh, align with sort of the mobile technology and um, mobile phones. Every operative probably is carrying, I would say, a high percentage are carrying smartphones, either on the Android platform or the uh, iOS Apple platform. Mm. So it, the plan was was to develop an app, and the actual app idea come from marketing. And so is it. So it's aimed at the operative rather than the the company owner. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. The information in there is the basic information. What we do, we give a we give an overview of the Health and Safety at Work Act. 
um, an overview of safe systems of work, risk assessments, method statements. As of now, there's a section on the construction phase plan, which come in with CDM 15. Uh, we look at permits to work, accident preventions and reporting of accidents, working at height, obviously, uh, the, using the correct access equipment, uh, weather conditions and links within the app. The good thing about the app is we're able to give links to other documents like our working in windy conditions, which has obviously been updated um, uh, a few months back. Um, we also are able to give uh, links to uh, partner organisations, for example, the Ladder Association, um, Facet, who oversee yep. netting, so they they can they can broaden their knowledge of of all the different um, areas of um, access and health and safety in general. But I think the beauty of the app at the moment, it's very easy to update. So if anything changes. It is going to be, or we need to update them about a safety risk, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, say something's happened and and um, the industry needs to up, be updated. Updating a, a mobile application is a lot simpler than writing a guidance note and yes. putting that. Reprinting it. Yeah. So if we look at safety alerts, for example, if something's happened and we yeah. need to, you know, um, and and a good example of that is is at the moment on the app we've we've got an area on um, uh, we've also got a tab for um, working during the COVID nineteen pandemic, mm -hmm. which although we are moving out of lockdown and yeah. through the tears and through the roadmap to freedom, <laughs> <laughs> we do still have to implement. Uh, safe operating procedures yeah of course. so again fantastic but that will change so mm. you, know, you know having the information live within the app will certainly make it easier as and when the government do change yeah. you know their approach it enables us to be able to react you know sooner and get that information out on site so there's lots of possibilities i think you probably know more what can be done with a uh, uh, this kind of technology and how to utilize it and how to how to give um, its users messages. I mean, I'm sure there's there's um, uh, opportunities to be able to give like a, a news feed. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's push notifications. So um, if you have the app in your phone, you have the functionality that when every time we update a guidance note onto the app you'll get a notification onto your phone to, to tell you. Um, so you have instant notification. Um, and you know, it's a health and safety app at the moment, but we hope to explore other functions in the future about how we can use it. So this is just the beginning. Um, so um, NFRC members should have received an email by now with their logging details and how to use the app. If you haven't um, received that, please do let us know by calling our help desk. Um, and you can download the app from both Apple um, store and the Android store as well, just by searching NFRC. So um, the technical tip for, for this episode then is to, to download the app. Download the app and feedback. I mean, you know, let us know how it works and what, you you, you know, and, and if you've got any ideas about how it can be improved and, mm -hmm. and, and content moving forward, you know, we're always willing to listen. Great. Thanks, Gary. All right. Brilliant. Speak soon.
So that's it for this episode of Rooftop. Thank you to Emma for being our guest on this show and to Gary again for introducing the app to you all. We hope that you've enjoyed listening today. But as always, please do share with your friends and colleagues via social media. And we hope you tune into the next episode. So it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Bye.